Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis and chapter number one, the book of Genesis chapter number one. We're thankful already how people have been helped through our creation seminar this year, just trying to be an encouragement and trying to be a help and trying to let people know that they can have confidence in God's word, that God didn't make any mistakes. Now, as we come to another subject tonight, we deal with the idea of dinosaurs in the Bible. And this is one that poses lots of questions for Bible believers. Where do dinosaurs fit within our theology? Where do they fit within our timeline? Because we've all been taught about dinosaurs as kids. Now we have to try to rectify that with the Bible. Is the Bible still true? And if it's true, where do they fit? How does that exist? Well, we want to have a biblical and a scientific answer for all of these things. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start with the Bible and take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 1 and notice with me in verse number 24. The book of Genesis chapter 1 and in verse number 24. The Bible says this, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And notice in verse number 25, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God said, it was good. We see this listed on day number six, that God made the beast of the earth. Let's discuss more about this. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you that we could trust you and that we could depend upon you. And as we come to this uh, session tonight, we're asking that we would have a good time with it, that you would help me to settle down, relax, and help me just to uh, be used by you as an instrument as you just move things along. We're asking that it would be pleasing to you and honoring to you, that you'd fill me with your spirit, guide and direct, and encourage hearts tonight. And we love you. Thank you that we can trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Oftentimes, magazines such as National Geographic will come up with a declarative statement. And this is an article from National Geographic that makes this bold statement that no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur. Now that's a pretty bold statement, that no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur. Now I have an immediate question. They never asked me, did they ask you? How do they know that no one has ever seen a live dinosaur? Would this be something that they believe no one has ever seen 
a live dinosaur. That may be perhaps. This is more their opinion rather than a declarative statement. However, publications very often say this, that no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur. Now, there's a reason why they say that, and it flows into their thought life of evolution But let's explore, is this a true statement? Is it true that no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur? Well, let's explore a little bit more. The Bible very clearly says that in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, that we believe that God created everything, that there was nothing that existed in heaven and earth that was not created by God. The Bible talks about that there was a firmament in heaven and he let it divide the waters from the waters and that we know that there was a canopy of water that was surrounding the earth that made things quite different and creating Garden of Eden conditions. These conditions made things live a lot longer and a lot healthier and a lot bigger. Now, we believe that 6,000 years ago, God created heaven and earth, and that 4,400 years ago, there was a great flood, and that things worked quite differently in that time between creation and the flood. We also know that the average age before the flood was 912 years, that things lived quite a bit longer. That's a long time to live. After the flood, the (laughs) ages dropped off very rapidly. Now, if things lived a long time, we know that lizards and reptiles, they never stop growing. Here's a textbook that says the largest, uh, (laughs) like all reptiles, it grows throughout its life. So if you could have a creature that could live to 900 years old and it never stopped growing, how big could it get? Probably quite a big, would we say a couple tons? Let's explore a little bit more. We know that dinosaurs were just big lizards and they lived with Adam and Eve. God had created them at the very beginning and they lived in those Garden of Eden conditions before the flood. A lot of times somebody will ask, well, if they lived before then, were there dinosaurs on the ark? That's a very good question. Were there dinosaurs on the ark with Noah and all the rest of them? Well, they've asked uh, some other people like the Reverend Billy Graham. Billy Graham says, nope, dinosaurs were extinct by the time that happened. Well, is that a true statement? Did God bring (laughs) dinosaurs on the ark? Well, if we're going to have our worldview, we have to have dinosaurs fit in our worldview some way, somehow. I do believe that there were dinosaurs up on the ark. So what about this? Could there be dinosaurs with them in the ark? Well, we know that Noah was 600 when he went into the ark. What does that tell us? Well, when you live a long time, you start to gather a lot of experience. Do you think uh, Noah was smart enough to understand how to pack dinosaurs? Yeah. What do you mean by packing dinosaurs? Well, how would you put dinosaurs in there? Well, we know that (coughs) dinosaurs are big, but their babies are small. And that if you're going to put animals in the ark, you don't have to get the biggest animal you possibly can. You could just bring the babies. As long as a pink one and a blue one, that will be important later on. So why bring babies on the ark instead of the full-blown adults? Well, first of all, that they're smaller. We could understand that with no help, that the biggest dinosaur egg is still smaller than a football. Now, that's still a pretty big egg. 
However, you can manage that and put that somewhere in a three-story ark. <clears throat> Here's a comparison of dinosaur eggs. Now, <laughs> that's a pretty big egg still, but can you still pack that easily upon an ark that's three stories? Absolutely, we can figure that out. Why else bring babies on the ark? Well, first of all, that they're smaller. Also, they weigh less. That's kind of important. You don't want to have maximum tonnage on a ship if you don't have to. So bring a smaller animal rather than the bigger animal. What about this? They eat less. That might be important if you're going to go for a year on a ship without any food supply. You want something to eat a little less. So you're not bringing teenagers on board. They also sleep a lot more. That would be important too. You don't want them to get restless. I mean, it's going to be a long ship. If you could get them to sleep more, that would make things a lot more pleasant. What about this? They're tougher, right? Kids, they fall, they can bounce back up. Us adults, when we fall, we're going to be crippled for a little while. (laughs) You know, kids are durable. So you could bring the babies, bring the smaller ones, because they will be a little bit more durable, which is going to be kind of important because the world is going to be a lot more hostile when they get off the ark. You want them to be tougher. And then after the flood, they will live longer to produce more offspring, which is why you're bringing them in the first place. You don't want to bring old grandma and old <laughs> grandpa because they're not going to be able to produce as many children as younger creatures. Does that make sense? Now, Noah being 600 years old, do you think he was smart enough to have this? Of course, he was directed by God and God's the smartest of them all. But we could understand that with logic, you don't have to bring the biggest ones. You could bring smaller ones as well. Because they are smaller, they're durable, they can last, right? Even elephants, which are large creatures, the babies aren't that big. Giraffes are pretty tall, but the babies aren't that big. We could figure this out, no help. The Bible talks about in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 19 that they were supposed to bring two of every sort. Notice two of every sort, not two of every species. So all you had to do was bring a dog kind. Bring a cat kind. Bring a monkey kind. You had to bring one of every sort. In Genesis chapter 7, it goes and makes a big deal. They after beast after his kind and after their kind and after his kind and after his kind. Now, once again, they didn't have to bring every species. They had to bring a pair of each kind. Now, notice at the very end of it that wherein is the breath of life. On the ark, they had to bring two of each kind, not of every species, but they also did not have to bring anything that didn't breathe through their lungs. That's going to be important. So he didn't have to go fishing and bring two fish on the ark. There was plenty of water. Something else they didn't have to bring on board was insects. Interesting. The Bible goes on and gives this description, and all those whose nostrils were the breath of life and that were in the dry land. So the only things that were supposed to go in the ark was one of each kind, not of every species, and those that were breathing oxygen through their lungs that lived on the land. Couldn't water animals take care of themselves? So he didn't have to bring dolphins either. So only the things that were on dry land that breathed through their lungs, through their nose. Insects, for example, do not breathe through their lungs. They breathe through their skin. So Noah didn't have to worry about bringing insects. They would be taken care of. Some of you wish that that the insects didn't survive at all. But they're necessary for the ecosystem and plants and whatnot. They are necessary, whether you think so or not. 
Good. Now, again, he didn't have to bring all these different pairs of dogs. He just had to bring a dog kind, and that would have been satisfactory. He didn't have to bring every type of horse. He just had to bring a horse kind. Now, some skeptics say, how did Noah fit millions of animals on the ark? So when they talk about Noah's ark, they say, we think of all the animals that we have. How do they fit millions and millions of animals on there? Well, let's start with a couple questions. First of all, he only had to bring land animals, no fish. All right. So that cuts down some of those animals. He only had to bring those with nostrils, no bugs. He didn't have to bring the bugs. So there gets rid of a lot of animals he had to worry about. He only had to bring babies, which is common sense. You didn't have to bring the biggest ones. Then two of each kind, not two of each different species. That's going to be a big deal too. That saves a lot of room when you only have to bring one of each kind. Then God made the kinds and he told Noah how to build the ark. Don't you think he knew how much the boat would be able to handle? Quite a bit. And then... How many were there? Were there millions and millions of different animals? Well, <laughs> there was about 8,000 different kinds that had to come on the ark. Is 8,000 much more of a manageable uh, number than millions? Yes. Absolutely. So God knew which ones to form and which ones to bring upon the ark. And he told him that. Now, some skeptics say that Adam could have never named all the animals in one day. So remember in Genesis chapter two, God created all the animals again in front of Adam and brought them to him one by one. And Adam named all of the animals. What we're doing is we're showing the manageable type. So people say, well, even Adam couldn't name all the animals in one day. Genesis is wrong. Well, at 8,000, at 300 words per minute, that's only 26 minutes. You know, no, he could have named all the animals in 26 minutes if he spoke like some of you. <laughs> if he just named an animal one per second, that's two and a quarter hours. That's manageable too, right? That's something that's manageable. So again, people try to blow up these big numbers and try to make them inachievable. But when we actually look at it, it's not that big of a deal. Dog kind, monkey kind, cat kind, fish kind. We just had to name the kinds. Then how big was the ark? Now we're going to talk more about Noah's ark next week where we're going to talk about the dimensions and whatnot. But it was big enough to handle all of those animals. So if the Bible is true and man lived with dinosaurs before the flood, what happened to the dinosaurs? That is a great question. What happened to the dinosaurs when they got off the ark? Well, let's see if we can answer this logically as well. We know that the science textbooks say that there was a meteorite that came and hit the Yucatan, uh, Ecotez Peninsula down in Mexico blew up all of the things, devastated the real estate, and the dinosaurs died because of the asteroid. Of course, there's many other theories people ask all the time what happened to the dinosaurs. Here, this one suggests that they died of their own flatulence. I used to laugh at this quite a bit until they brought this into Congress saying that we're going to die of our own flatulence too, that we're causing global warming. So I guess we're going the way of the dinosaur and that the dinosaurs just farted themselves to death and just messed up the atmosphere. Uh, you know, that's a theory. I mean, people come up with theories all the time. I mean, everybody throws in different reasons why dinosaurs went extinct. Uh, people have got theories. They've got suggestions. Why did the dinosaurs go extinct? Well, 
Let's try to reason this out. Here's a textbook here. What happened to the dinosaurs? What made them go extinct? Here they ask the students, what do you think that happened? Again, it's something that's not known. It is something that people speculate about. What happened to the dinosaurs? Well, let's pose some questions. We know that dinosaurs leaving the ark faced a brand new world with a more hostile climate. Things did not work the same as they did beforehand. For example, a brontosaurus, aptosaurus, has the same nostril size as a horse. But breathing in today's atmosphere with its long neck, in order to take a breath, what would happen is that the wind would be whipping through its long neck at 100 miles an hour. That would rip things raw. It would not be able to survive in this brand new hostile environment. It was created to survive in a pre-flood condition. We know that many probably died because of the climate changes within the first hundred years of the flood. Everything was devastated, everything worked differently, and everything had to adapt to the brand new climate and the brand new atmosphere. What about this? <laughs> so before the average age of the flood, things lived a lot longer. But after the flood, the ages immediately began to drop off, even for humans. They went from 900 years to 400 years to 200 years to 100 years. Even us, we live less time. And dinosaurs didn't have enough time to get as big as they used to be. Does that make sense? So, dinosaurs also had two major problems after the flood. The first problem is, is that many of them died due to the climate changes. They just couldn't survive. They couldn't adapt. They weren't built for a post-flood environment. The second major problem that the dinosaurs had, which was the biggest problem, was man. People hunted them. Why would people hunt dinosaurs? Well, there's a list of reasons. We know that all throughout the ages, people have had legends of people killing dinosaurs. That's always been a big trope, a big uh, a legend all throughout history and everybody's culture of people slaying dragons. Why would they slay the dragons? And did dragons even exist? We know that the word dinosaur was invented in 1841. This is 200 years before our, or after our English Bible was translated. Now, before this, they were just known simply as dragons. Here is a dictionary here that in 1891, the word dinosaur is not found in the dictionary. However, <laughs> In the Bible, the word dragon is used all throughout the Bible. 34 times in the word of God, the word dragon is found. Now again, the word dragon is the same as dinosaur, just a different name for it. The dragons are just lizards that lived in the ancient world, whereas dinosaurs is our new name for it that we've recently invented. Here is a 1946 dictionary. Notice this definition of dragon. It says, now rare. So in 1946, they still say that dragons still exist. They're just very rare. Isn't that interesting? So what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, as man's killing them, uh, they're going to become more and more rare. So why would man kill off the dinosaurs? Well, first of all, for meat. There is a lot of meat on a brontosaurus. There's a lot of stuff you could eat off that thing. Well, because they were a menace. 
that would be a reason why to kill them. I mean, they're chasing off the flocks. I mean, that's a lot of sheep that got to keep them fulfilled and they're going to eat somebody's sheep. How about this? To be a hero, there's so many legends of saving a village in order to uh, <laughs> defeat the dragon to become the hero of the village. What about this? To prove his superiority. Isn't there enough men with testosterone that go kill a dragon just to prove that they can? Absolutely. Uh, how about this? Competition for land. Well, as man is expanding out, we need more land. And here's a creature that's in the way. We need him off the land so we could take it. And what about this? Medicinal purposes. It's still amazing to see how many ingredients of ancient things require dragon elements for medicines. What if they had a lot of medicinal purposes inside of them? That'd be a reason why to kill them. So all throughout history, there have been many legends of people killing a dragon. Some of the oldest literature is about Gilgamesh in the epic, and he slayed a dragon. One Chinese legend tells of a famous Chinese man by the name of Yu. After the great flood, Yu surveyed the land of China and divided it into sections. He built channels to drain off the water into the sea and helped them make the land livable again. Many snakes and dragons were driven from the marshlands when Yu created the new farmlands. That's interesting, a Chinese legend that talks about dragons being chased off the land. How about this? Why would in the Chinese zodiac they have 12 creatures and one of them's a dragon? Why would they have 11 real animals and one that's imaginary? Doesn't it make sense that they had 12 real animals on their zodiac calendar? How about this? Here is a piece of pottery here with two dinosaurs that were on the artwork. This is from Egypt. Why would people put dinosaurs on their artwork if they've never seen a dinosaur? That's a question. It's a very beautiful piece, very clearly, two long-necked dinosaurs together. Here's another one, these long-necked dinosaurs. Here's another one of these long-necked dinosaurs. Here is a magic wand inside of a tomb that shows a long-necked creature. Could it be that they've seen these long-necked creatures and they put them in their artwork? Here in Isaiah, they talk about a fiery flying serpent. So the book of Isaiah talks about a fiery flying serpent. We know that the Greek historian Herodotus, he talks about flying these winged serpents and that they were had such numbers that were impossible to describe. They were shaped like a water snake. Its wings were not feathered, but resembled very closely to that of a bat. He said, I saw something in the air. I don't know what it is, but here's a creature that flies and uh, it, it's definitely not a bird. He goes on and he says, in some of the places in the Middle East, there was a place where bones lie at the entrance of a narrow gorge. And it's talking about how big these bones were that were sticking out of the ground and had these winged creatures that were flying about it in this area in Arabia towards Egypt. Interesting. In England, in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, dated back in 793 AD, it talked about fiery dragons flying across the firmament. That in old English history, they talked about dragons flying in the sky. How about this? In our Bible, we have uh, the history of Babylon. Babylonians, their chief god was Marduk. And Marduk was often pictured alongside of a dragon. 
Well, how about we go further into it? Inside of the Catholic Bible, they have a section called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is not scripture. However, it can be useful history in putting things together. So in the Catholic Bible, they have some more chapters added to the book of Daniel. It's part of the Apocrypha. It's not scripture, but it does paint a very interesting picture, especially since they are ancient text. In Daniel chapter 14 of the Catholic Bible, it says there was a great dragon in that place and the Babylonians worshiped him. So they're talking about Daniel who's living in Babylon and and as he's in Babylon, the Babylonians are talking about this great dragon that lived in that place. And he's causing a problem and they're going to task Daniel with trying to, how do we solve this dinosaur problem? How do we solve this dragon problem? Well, Daniel's the right guy to pull up for here. And the king said to Daniel, behold, thou canst not say now that this is not a living God. Adore him therefore. So they're pointing to the dragon and saying, isn't this a living God? Look at how amazing he is. Look how wonderful he is. We don't know what to do with him, but he's pretty amazing. It goes on to say, and Daniel said, I adore the Lord, my God. I don't need to pay attention to that God. My God's bigger than this. For he is a living God and that is no living God. And Daniel's going to prove it to the king. But give me leave, O king, and I will kill this dragon without sword and without club. And the king said, I give thee leave. That's pretty brave. Daniel said, I'm going to prove that this is no God and I'm going to kill this thing without a sword and without a club, basically without weapons. How do you kill a dragon without weapons? Well, let's see what Daniel does. And Daniel took pitch and fat and hair. Now, this is pretty smart. Now, Daniel was pretty smart. The Bible speaks about that he was someone who understood science. So as Daniel's understanding of science, he puts together this idea that he took pitch. Now, pitch is something that's very sticky. Now, remember, this is not in your Bibles. This is in a Catholic Bible. Uh, This is an extra story, but it is historical and allows us to picture together. So Daniel took pitch. Pitch is something that's very sticky. And fat, fat is going to be something that the dragon would like to eat. It's something very sweet, something savory. And hair. So the hair is going to do something interesting, that the pitch is going to stick it together, the fat is going to make it edible or make it want to be a treat, and the hair is going to make it so it gets stuck. And what's going to happen is the dragon ate this, and then it gets stuck and it wants to breathe fire, and guess what? It blew up. He, he clogged the pipes. <coughs> Daniel was pretty smart, wasn't he? And just to prove to... Uh, to the king there that this dragon is not a god. My god's smarter. Let me show you how. Pretty interesting. Now, again, this is not scripture, but it is ancient history. Why would they have a story like this if it didn't happen or if there wasn't even a dragon in existence? Interesting. We know Alexander the Great reported when he was in India, his soldiers were scared by great dragons that lived in caves. Alexander the Great, the great conqueror, claimed to see a dinosaur, a dragon. Here's Roman mosaic of two long-necked dinosaurs. They're wrapped up together. The Romans uh, pictured this. In fact, take a closer look at that. That's what we would call necking. St. George 
was the patron saint of England and Portugal, he was well known for slaying a dragon in 275 AD. Again, all these pictures of people who killed dragons, who interacted, who saw dragons. That's a lot of people. How about this? In 1900, an Irish writer told of an animal with iron nails on his tail and a head similar to a horse. He had thick legs and strong claws. Could he have seen a dinosaur? How about this? Here's a Viking woodcut of a dragon swallowing a man. Of course, the Vikings had lots of um, dragon iconography. They loved to put dragons on their stuff. Interesting. Why would they have pictures of dragons if they had never seen such a creature? Viking ships often had dragon heads. Why would they have it if they have never seen it? We know that the Vikings had many encounters of them. The dragon heads on top of their things. If you're more interested in trying to see these things, here's a book that talks a little bit more of how life was like after the flood, and including dragons and dinosaurs needing to survive. Marco Polo, who many of you heard about, lived in China for 17 years in about uh, 1271. And he reported that the emperor raised dragons to pull his chariots inside of parades. Now, if you really want to show off how big and brave you are and how, how great you are, wouldn't you want to have dragons pulling your chariot just to show that you could tame everything? Yeah. In fact, in China, they actually had the post of a royal dragon feeder. There was someone who had the job of feeding the dragons. I mean, you got to feed them something. That was an official job. Why would someone have the official job of a, of a dragon feeder if there was no dragons to feed? Mm-hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Here's a coin showing a man slaying a dragon from the 1500s. Here's another coin from the 1600s, a man slowing a dragon. Another one and another one. Isn't it interesting that all of these cultures have people killing dragons? Why would they be killing dragons or pictured killing dragons if there were no dragons in existence? Here's a Russian medallion, once again, of a man killing a dragon. Here's a posted stat of a man killing a dragon. Here's the Lithuanian crest of a man killing a dragon. Again, this is a common theme from all different places of the world where people had interactions with a dragon. In France, it was renamed in honor for the dragon that was slain there. It was described as being bigger than an ox and having long, sharp, pointed horns on its head. Interesting, isn't it? Could they have seen these dinosaurs? In the Grand Canyon, if you go down to the base, they actually have some of the natives who drew some pictures inside of the caves. And here in the caves, they have pictures of dinosaurs. How would they know to draw pictures of dinosaurs a thousand something years ago if they've never seen one? Inside of the Grand Canyon, very clear pictures. Interesting. Here's an article that was written that the fact that some prehistoric man made a pictograph of a dinosaur on the walls of the canyon upsets completely all of our theories regarding the iniquity of man. Interesting, isn't it? He goes on to say, facts are stubborn and immutable things. If theories do not square with the facts, then the theories must change and the facts remain. We agree with that, that if they show that dinosaurs lived with man, we should probably teach that dinosaurs lived with man. Unfortunately, he goes on to say, sorry, 
that we know that dinosaurs were extinct 12 million years ago before man appeared. So we know this can't really be a dinosaur because we know dinosaurs died beforehand. Uh, didn't he not change his theory? He tried to change the facts. This is normally what ends up happening is that people refuse to admit that dinosaurs and man coexisted. That becomes a very big deal. Here's a textbook here. It says in this public school textbook that 65 million years ago, dinosaurs died. In order for evolution to work, dinosaurs and man have to have a, a time scat, uh, time a gap of 46 million years or evolution can't work. This is why they keep pushing that man and dinosaurs could not coexist. And over and over, they're going to try to teach through textbooks and to displays. Here's another one, 65 million years ago. They have to say this because they have to have that magic ingredient of time. Because if man coexisted with dinosaurs, then evolution cannot function. This is why they won't change those facts. Even when they clearly see that there's a dinosaur on the picture of the uh, canyon wall, well, it can't be a dinosaur. It's got to be something else. Now, in 1535, Spanish conquistadors mentioned that there were stones with strange creatures carved on them found in this region of Peru. And in here, here's a man that seems to be pictured doing brain surgery. Here's some big, uh, rocks showing a man doing heart surgery. It's pretty amazing. But these stones also show other things as well. There is a ton of collections of them. And on these stones, they also show dinosaurs. Just huge amounts of these stones have been dug up and found. And a whole lot of them picture dinosaurs clearly. Here's one here of a of dinosaurs, a whole bunch of them herded together. Why would they put them on the stones if they had never seen them? That's pretty interesting. Clearly dinosaurs. Here's a man riding a dinosaur. Well, I guess he, they must have coexisted sometime. By the way, they found tons of those things all over showing tons of dinosaurs. But yet we still have articles like this that says no man has ever seen a live dinosaur. Well, it seems like there's a lot of history that says man has seen a dinosaur, hasn't it? So if all of this about dinosaurs living with man is true, we come to a natural question. Are there dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? Can we see dinosaurs inside the word? Well, let's see. In the book of Job chapter 40, it says, Behold now behemoth. Now behemoth is something that's mentioned here. It's not a creature we have today. So we're going to have to once again describe, uh, go off the description found in the Bible. So in some of your Bibles, it may have a footnote that says, supposed to either be an elephant or a hippopotamus. So is a behemoth, is it a hippopotamus, is it an elephant? Well, let's explore and see if they match up. We do know that there were different types of dinosaurs that lived. We have uh, an aptosaurus, we have a brachiosaurus, we have a kratosaurus. <coughs> you have these different dinosaurs. We have a blondosaurus. You have to be careful with those. You speak very slowly to them so they get it. Good. Now, inside of Job, as it describes the behemoth, it says, Now behold, be, uh, behold now behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass, 
like an ox. So whatever this creature is, it eats grass like an ox. Well, that's not a big deal. A lot of creatures eat grass. Well, notice it gives another description. Now his strength is in his loins and the force is in the navel of his belly. What it's trying to describe is that whatever this creature is, it has a big belly. All right, well, that's not a big deal. We know that there's lots of creatures that have a big belly. Elephants have a big belly. Hippopotamuses have a big belly. Dinosaurs have a big belly. This guy has a big belly. This guy has a big belly too. So it's not unusual that something has a big belly. But the description goes on. It says, he moveth his tail like a cedar. All right, so whatever this creature is, the Bible describes his tail like a cedar tree. Now you've seen a cedar tree. They're pretty big trees. So whatever this creature is, it's describing it's got a big, hefty, fat tail. Well, is that true of an elephant? That's not like a cedar tree. That doesn't work. What about this? No, not like a cedar tree there either. So what type of creature is this that has a tail like a cedar tree? Now, if your Bible does have the footnotes like this, remember that it's the text that's inspired, not the footnotes. We could trust the text of the Bible. Well, let's go on. Let's see if we can figure out what this creature is. It says his bones are as strong pieces of brass and his bones are like bars of iron. Now, whatever this creature is, it has big bones. Now, why would a creature have big bones? That's a good question. Could it be because it had big toes? Could it also be that it had big toes because it had a big foot? A big foot that it could actually squish into the dirt, right? And it had a big foot because it had a big leg. And it had a big leg because the whole thing was big. How big did they get? They got pretty big. How big is it? Sometimes we don't have a good reference. If a dinosaur was a hundred tons, that's a lot of weight. That's equivalent to 14 school buses. That's a big, heavy thing. So much so that if you saw one of them and it stepped on you, it would leave a deep impression. (laughs) The Bible goes on in describing the behemoth that he is the chief of the ways of God. What does that word chief mean? That's a good question. The word chief means to the principal thing, the big thing. It is important. It is something that stands out. So whatever this creature is, it's something that's big, principal, stands out. All right? So it says that he is the chief of the ways of God and that he that made him could make his sword to approach him to two. And God created the great whales and every living thing back in Genesis. Who created this big creature? God did. God created this creature. Now, when we're going through our timeline, we know that Satan couldn't fool Adam about dinosaurs. Why? Because Adam says, oh, there's a dinosaur right there. What do you mean they don't exist? We know that Satan couldn't fool Noah. Noah had to feed them every day, right? Now, over the years past the flood, dinosaurs became rarer and rarer. And so Satan would love to try to fool people and try to convince them that they don't exist. Why? Because as the Bible said in Job, that the dinosaur that's mentioned there is the chief of the ways of God. There are one of the ways to go, wow, God made that. 
That's a big God. And if Satan can somehow erase dragons and dinosaurs from our minds, from thinking they exist at the same time and try to use them to take away from the glory of God, that's what Satan's going to do, is he's going to lie to people. People had forgotten about him. And Satan is trying to use dinosaurs now to twist what the scriptures say and to tell that the Bible is not true. So because of this, we have books like this that are written for kindergarten first graders. I can read about dinosaurs. And as they open up their page, the very first thing they run into is millions of years ago, dinosaurs, millions and millions of years ago. By the way, when you see that millions of years, remember that it's a long time ago and far, far away. It's a fairy tale coming. Now, how many kids are being taught in your town at your expense that dinosaurs lived outside of man? Uh, didn't live at the same time as man. This becomes a very big deal. Millions and millions of years ago, we're, kids are being taught all the time that dinosaurs lived a long time ago. Now, kids are fascinated with dinosaurs, so they want to learn everything they can about dinosaurs. So when they're told about their favorite subject, that it's millions and millions of years ago, and then some Bible preacher tries to tell them that the Bible is true and the world is 6,000 years ago, they now have to make a decision. Is the book that I like about dinosaurs true? Or the book about the Bible, is that true? That's the decision they have to make. And unfortunately, because they can't rectify the two, that one of them is going to win out. And unfortunately, the Bible's the one that usually loses. People are being taught, kids are being taught today and being deceived and being trained that the Bible is not to be trusted. That's a big deal. The Bible talks about going back to the bee moth, that he lieth under the shady trees in the convert of the reed and the fins. The word fins is our equivalent of a swamp. That whatever this creature is, it lives in a swamp. Well, is there a swamp that big that could hold a creature? Well, interesting enough that the swamp in the Congo and Zaire is 55 thousand square miles. Now, once again, we throwing numbers. Let's do equivalent. What is 55,000 miles? By the way, this is an unexplored swamp, a swamp so thick that we can't get into it yet. People haven't explored it. Could you imagine having a piece of real estate 55,000 square miles unexplored? What is the size of that? Well, let's see. It is uh, <laughs> equivalent to the state of Arkansas. Having a, something the size of the state of Arkansas as a swamp that's unexplored. Here's some states here. All the red states each are 55,000 square miles. The yellow states are smaller than that swamp. So this is a pretty big size swamp, don't you think? So let's look. It's 80% unexplored. Now, a 43-year-old veteran missionary, Eugene Thomas, had two pygmies in his mission to Congo. And they claimed to have killed a Moki Imbu, a Mokia Imbu in 18, or 1959. Now, they said, we killed this great creature. What happened is uh, the missionaries had brought in some different picture books. And they said, did you kill this? No. Did you kill this? Did you kill this? No. And they went through all of their natural history things, and they couldn't find an animal that matched. But it happened to be that someone had brought a dinosaur book just on the side, and he was flipping through it. Uh, 
not talking to the pygmies, and the pygmies say, oh, that's it, Moki and Bimbu, Moki and Bimbu, and they point it to a dinosaur, and they said, we just killed one of those just a little bit ago. Interesting, isn't it? Could it be that dinosaurs are still alive today? In swamps that are 80% unexplored, the state of Arkansas, is there plenty of room for them to hide? Interesting, isn't it? So what if dinosaurs are not extinct? Wouldn't that kind of get rid of that gap of 65 million years that they died and that man never seen dinosaurs? What if dinosaurs were still alive today? We know that dinosaurs are mentioned as dragons throughout history. Could there still be some small ones still be alive today? Now, I'm not saying that you have to go home and worry about a dinosaur attack. You're not worried about Godzilla squishing their house. But in some little niches in the world that's unexplored and left alone, could they still be alive today? We know that there's a creature that was 32 foot long, weighing 4,000 pounds that was hauled up off the coast of New Zealand. It was dead, rotting, and smelled terrible. After a while, they took pictures, but it smelled so bad they had to toss it overboard. That's a big deal. Now, the reason why they were fishing is because they're looking for, I'm going to say this wrong, ambrosis. Anybody know what ambrosis is? It is the uh, tentacle of a whale or tentacle of a, of a, of a octopus type thing that a whale has swallowed. Does anybody know what they make out of that? Perfume. <laughs> Give you something to smell about later. So that's why they were looking for things to haul up. And they pulled up this huge creature and it smelled. They took pictures, a lot of pictures. Now, again, the pictures were taken in the 70s. It's very hard to get a better in focus picture. But they took a bunch of pictures of it, of this creature that they hauled out of the water. Looks kind of interesting, doesn't it? This creature that they hauled out of the water. They drew sketches of it, trying to draw it the best they could before tossing it back in, knowing that no one was going to believe them afterwards. They even made a postage stamp based off of this creature and had released it in the land that they were at. Off the coast of Monterey, California in 1925, there was a creature that washed up ashore that caused a big stir. Uh, it's mentioned that's the head of the creature that they found washed up. Its head was here and its whole body was stretched out with a long neck that they had found. Again, 1925, not the best pictures, but it's what we have. That's a pretty big head, isn't it? What is it that washed upon the shore? It was a 20 foot long neck that was on this creature. That's a long neck creature that washed upon the shore. Now, people who examined it and examined the pictures would call it some type of plesiosaur. A plesiosaur is a water-type creature that is found. In fact, a lot of people believe Loch Ness Monster is a plesiosaur, a dinosaur that's still alive today. Now, again, that's a big, long creature that was there. One atheist said that creature was just a whale. The problem with that is that show me a whale that has a long neck. It definitely can't be a whale that washed up on the shore. And yet we still have these articles here that says no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur. Is this a true statement of fact? Or is this something they believe because of their faith system in evolution? It is not a statement of fact. 
You know, Paul makes mention of creation in his address in Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar to this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, or worship him, I declare you unto you. Now, in sight of Mars Hill, there was a place where they tried to list every god they possibly could. They had the Greek gods, they had the Egyptian god, they had the Roman gods, they had them all listed. And just in case they missed one, they had a blank spot, spot that said to the unknown god. So when Paul comes in and he's seeing all these other gods and notice that they had this little inscription here, he says, let me tell you about this God, this God here, the one that you're missing. Let me tell you some information about this God. He says, God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in the temples made with hands. You know what Paul did is he went back to creation He went back and said, all right, now let me start at the beginning and let me tell you who this God is. This is the God that made heaven and earth. You know, Paul, when he went to the superstitious, the super educated uh, people of Greece, you know what he did? He went back to a creation seminar. He went back to creation science. He went back and said, there's a God who made heaven and earth. That's the God you need to listen to. So with that, We have a big God. We have a God who created dinosaurs. We have a God who created everything. The idea that we ask you is your God, is he the God who created everything? If he is, is he the God that you should listen to? God made everything. We need to remember that we have a big God and that nothing is impossible when we put our trust in him. That we can trust him to help us with our bills. We could trust him that he cares for us. We could trust his word because he didn't make any mistakes. And he has clearly told us about his creation. And we could use the light of history to prove and to back up his claims that he is the God of everything. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.